As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Late night Midnight on the interstate I didn't feel so great Until I saw the city Welcome back to Straight from the Source uh, with Michael Russo Coming to you from uh, beautiful Minnesota, um, talking to Kenny Albert, who is, um, he's slacking today. He's only calling two games for NBC. Um, he's coming to me from the bubble inside Edmonton. How are you, Kenny? I'm great, Mike. Uh, how are you? Hope you and all the listeners are doing well and healthy and staying safe. Uh, actually, only one game today, so it feels oh. like an off day. Calgary, Dallas. <laughs> Uh, so Calgary Dallas uh, series is tied at two two, right? Tied at um, two. Game five yep. today. Game five, and then tonight is the Colorado Vegas game. Vegas, uh, or excuse me, Vegas Chicago game. Vegas uh, trying to uh, move on to the uh, second round of the playoffs. Is that is Brendan Burke doing that remotely? Uh, Doc Emmerich. Oh, Doc Emmerich doing it remotely. So what is it like, uh, Kenny, being in this bubble? Uh, At times, it's got to be fun. At times, it's got to be lonely, especially when you're looking at your uh, family probably through FaceTime and uh, and a lot of phone calls. A lot of FaceTime. Uh, To be honest, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I arrived two Wednesdays ago, so tomorrow will mark the uh, two-week point. Um, Home for 146 days prior to the trip to Edmonton, (laughs) so... It's certainly been a, a surreal uh, last five and a half months. Uh, when the pause took place on, on March 12th, I was in uh, Denver with the Rangers. I had worked a radio game the night before between the Rangers and Avalanche, and uh, that game was on the night of March 11th, uh, the night the NBA paused their season, and then the next morning the NHL went on pause. So, uh, like I said, it was 146 straight days at home, which – uh, never happens. Never usually home for five or six days in a row. 
um, and then uh, started working games uh, remotely uh, when the playoffs started uh, with my Rangers radio duties. Worked uh, their series against Carolina from studios in Manhattan, and at the same time worked four games remotely from Stamford, Connecticut, from the NBC studios during the qualifying round and round-robin round of the playoffs. And then uh, I received word that uh, if and when the Rangers were eliminated, um, I would be heading to Edmonton on a plane the next day. So um, on that Wednesday, two weeks ago, August 5th, uh, packed for an indefinite period of time and headed (laughs) to Edmonton. So you talked about uh, being lonely. The first four days I spent in quarantine in my hotel room, which uh, uh, most of the others who traveled here uh, were under the same protocol. And uh, I landed on a Wednesday about 4 o'clock. It was the first time I had been on a flight uh, since that trip home with the Rangers on March 12th. I flew Air Canada. They did a tremendous job. The planes were so clean, uh, no issues in the airports. Flew from New York to Toronto and then connected to Edmonton. Got to the hotel about 5 o'clock and uh, checked into my room and uh, knew that I would not be able to leave the room for four days under the quarantine. And about an hour after I checked in, I uh, received a knock on my door uh, for the first daily COVID test. Uh, they came to my room during that four-day quarantine. And now the, the good thing was, so when Pierre Maguire arrived here, it was before the games had started. So he had to stay in his room for four days with no hockey games on TV. The good news wow. for me was for the three full days uh, that I was in my room and also parts of two other days, there were five or six games on all day. So I was actually looking out my window, as I'm doing right now, at Roger's Place, which is about a four-block walk from the hotel. And there were multiple games going on there every day, but I wasn't able to leave my room. So I watched so many games on TV, uh, got my work done for the games that I would be working, spent a lot of time on the computer, on the phone, reading, watched a couple of movies. So the first day uh, seemed like it went, you know, it was dragging along a little bit. Uh, just mentally knowing that you could not step outside your hotel room. Um, Ordered room service throughout those four days, and uh, they came every morning to do the COVID test, Um, and the players and coaches and staff are taking tests every day. Uh, So are Pierre and I when we get to the arena now. And then uh, was finally allowed out of my room uh, after the four negative tests on that Sunday. So I went to a game that day. Uh, It was St. Louis uh, finishing up the round robin against Colorado, I think. It's hard to keep track of all the games at this <laughs> point. And uh, it might have been St. Louis-Dallas, actually. So I went to that game, uh, sort of got the lay of the land. Uh, the three hotels and the arena are fenced in. The NHL has done an unbelievable job. Uh, Steve Mayer, who you know well, who is basically running the Edmonton bubble, he was here since mid-July. And again, I'm looking out my window, and there's fencing. Uh, running from my hotel to the two other hotels. One of them is right next to the arena. And those are basically the four places that all of us can go. The players, the mm-hmm. coaches, the, the team staff, the NHL staff, the, the television folks. Uh, but it's been great. Uh, there's a plaza area outside the arena where uh, there are tables set up. There are two basketball hoops. There are some cornhole games. There were three food trucks. And I ate lunch outside yesterday. It was 82 degrees. And there were a couple of Dallas Stars at the next table, a few Chicago Blackhawks to my right. And this is where everybody congregates, especially on nice days, because it's really the only place uh, you can 
you can stay for an extended period while you're outside uh, just because everything's fenced in. But like I said, the NHL's done a great job. I've worked 12 games now in the last seven days. I have the Calgary-Dallas game today. And the, the three or four games that I have not worked, uh, I still go because I'm here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else am I doing? Why not go to a hockey game? So I sit there and uh, I'm one of the only people in the arena, I guess, not working during those few games because you have the television folks, you have the cleaning crew, you have uh, the folks working up in Studio 99, which is Wayne Gretzky's restaurant where we can all go eat between games. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. It really has. And it, right now, I mean, it, it's only you and Pierre, right, uh, that, that are in the bubble from U.S. broadcasting? We are the only two here. Yeah. Uh, John Forslund, Brian Boucher, and Mike Milbury are in Toronto. Um, I know others are going to join at some point. Eddie Olchek is scheduled to come to Edmonton pretty soon. Uh, but Pierre's been here, like I said, since the start. And, and he's incredible. He's worked every single game. Uh, We had two three-game days together. Uh, As you mentioned, Brendan Burke and Doc Emmerich have been doing some broadcasts remotely, as I did in the the qualifying round from Stanford. And A.J. Malesko joins us on some of those games, Eddie Olchek on some. So there there have actually been games, and and it's, it's, it's gone so smoothly. There have been games where Doc is broadcasting from Michigan, um, Eddie is in Stanford, Connecticut, and Pierre is here. So there it's have crazy. been some games with with three announcers in different locations. Pierre and I have done games here in Edmonton uh, with Eddie on some and AJ on others, both in Stanford. So um, it's different. It's unique. It's never really happened before, uh, you know, to this extent. But um, I really have to give credit, like I said, to the NHL folks and to the TV folks. Uh, Mark Askin is one of the top producers in the NHL. Uh, He's Canadian, and uh, he's producing and directing many of the games that are played here in Edmonton. NBC uh, sent a lot of technicians and producers and directors to Toronto, and Rogers, Sportsnet in Canada, is basically running everything uh, from a production standpoint here in Edmonton, and they've done an amazing job. And where is, like, like when I watch uh, the games in Toronto, Brian Boucher is, like, literally in a bubble uh, between the benches. Where is Pierre actually calling the games from? Because he's not between the benches, right? It's a little different here because of how the benches are set up. So uh, the bench, when I'm looking across from my broadcast position, which is a great location, I'm not up in the regular press box. I'm down on the first concourse level. So and I'm the about, regular press box in Edmonton is way up there. <laughs> right. It's one of the highest. So I'm about 25 rows up behind the first section of seats. So when I'm looking across, the bench, the player bench to my left, um, basically the goalie, the backup goalie sits right in the middle on the red line because the tunnel from the locker room leads out at that point. And then the other team bench starts right on the other side of the boards and glass. So there's no room. This is one of the few rinks where there's no room for Pierre Uh, right in the middle on the red line. So he's a little bit, when I'm looking across, he's a little bit to the right. He's to the left of the team benches. So he's probably sitting along the blue line. Um, So it's not the perspective he's used to right in the middle, but it's pretty close. He's on the blue line right in the first row. Uh, He's basically sitting uh, where the first row of seats uh, intersects with the team bench. There's a little bit of space with steps right in the middle. So he has his usual setup with his monitor and all of his equipment. Now, one thing I should mention, Mike, um, the Canadian broadcasters who are here, uh, Chris Cuthbert and Louis DeBrusque, they're doing many of the games, but they are technically outside the bubble. 
Uh, they're staying in a different hotel, and there's one entrance, so we never see them because we're wow. all in the bubble. So there are also a couple of writers here, Jim Thomas from St. Louis and a few others. They are outside the bubble, so there's, yep. there's a specific entrance which leads them to an upper level above where I am, and that's where they're broadcasting from. So they basically walk in this entrance, which leads right to the, one of the upper levels, and that's where the writers go in as well, and they watch the game from that standpoint. Uh, and then they leave, so they're not in the bubble. They have no interaction with, with us, or uh, they can't go down. So before every game, I go down. Uh, I have a little uh, desk in an office trailer set up by the NHL uh, down sort of where the TV trucks would normally be by the loading dock of the arena, which is near the locker rooms. So I'll go down there every day, and I'll walk through, and I'll see players uh, working out. There's a workout area, uh, getting, you know, getting their sticks ready. But uh, the folks outside the bubble do not have access to that area. Yeah, it is amazing. My guest is uh, Kenny Albert, uh, the very busy uh, broadcaster, uh, hockey announcer for NBC, uh, also the Rangers play-by-play uh, announcer on radio, MSG Knicks and Rangers, uh, boxing, uh, football with Fox, baseball with Fox, uh, very busy. Um, and I always joke with you, Kenny, and I'm amazed at how busy you are, but this has got to be very, very different, kind of probably back to your early days uh, growing up in the business where you're doing multiple games in the same day. And what I've been amazed at is every single game you're doing, you don't sound fatigued. You sound just in, as into it as you would have if it was game one, where I've got to think there are times you are showing up at the rink and you're like, oh, another one. Is it that case at all? No, not really, fortunately. Uh, this feels a little bit like the Olympics, actually a lot like the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And I've been real fortunate to work the last five Winter Olympics for NBC, where you're in one place, there's no travel, you're in one hotel room for two or three weeks, and you have multiple games per day. Uh, I think back to the 2002 Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City, uh, Joe Micheletti and I, I think, worked 23 games in 13 days together, men's and women's hockey so there were a number of two-game days, three-game days, uh, and then the, the last four Winter Olympics, similar situations, 19 or 20 games in a two-week stretch. Um, here, uh, similar to the Olympics, I'm in one hotel room. There's no travel. You know, as you know, and you do the same thing, during the playoffs, I'm normally, and, and Pierre has a crazy schedule, you know, we, we oftentimes during postseason are on a flight every morning to different cities, 6 a.m. wake-up calls, and it's only one game a day, but it's a lot more taxing on your body because you're not getting a lot of sleep. Here, at least, you get back. We've done a lot of late games, which end at 10.45 or 11 here in Edmonton, so you don't get to sleep until about 12.30 or 1 o'clock, but uh, you don't have to be up that early to travel the next day. So that's, that's the major difference. Uh, the other thing is, here we're really just doing the games. There, we're not going to morning skates. Uh, there is a practice rink at the arena but a lot of the teams practice uh, at a different location, and we don't have access uh, to those. You know, we're gathering a lot of our information similar to how the reporters are around the country via the Zoom press conferences, which I think have gone really well. The NHL has done a tremendous job with that, bringing players and coaches in uh, before games, after games. So uh, there's not a lot of time spent lingering around the rink aside from going to the games. Uh, don't feel fatigued at all. Uh, we had two three-game days, Friday and Sunday, uh, Pierre and I, so we both worked three games on those days. And I'll have to be honest, Mike, on Sunday, I felt like I could have done a fourth game. Uh, even though two of those games went to overtime, we had great games. Uh, the St. Louis-Vancouver game was, was the late game, and 
That was when Brendan, uh, Braden Shen scored the overtime goal for the Blues. I, I really felt like I could have worked a fourth game. It was, uh, it was just such a fun day. And Amazing. obviously, during normal times, you, you never work two NHL games in a day, let alone three. It's impossible. So it's, it's just so much fun to be a part of it. And I guess the adrenaline kicks in, similar to the Olympics when you have multiple games. And, you know, the good thing is it's, it's, it's the same teams. So we've worked all four Western Conference series. I think I've worked all four games in St. Louis, Vancouver, all four games in Dallas, Calgary up to this point, uh, four out of the five in Arizona, Colorado, and I worked one game Vegas, Chicago. So most of the prep work was done uh, during the four-day quarantine, and I was watching these teams play and uh, had seen them during the season, of course. So once the series starts, you're updating uh, stats and you're keeping up with all the daily clips and watching the coaches' Zoom phone calls. But uh, once you do that first game and have prepared for that series, it gets easier as you go along. What what was it like, uh, Kenny, doing the games on TV remotely? I mean, have have you done that before? Because I, I was reading Neil Best's story in Newsday Today on A.J. Malesko and Brendan Burke, and uh, I've got to think it's extremely difficult. Like, I watch these games, and there are times you look at some of these uniforms on a TV, and, you, and if you are not positive of the lines, it's very hard to ID these players. Um, what was that like? It, it is a lot more challenging than being in the arena. I thought it went pretty well, though. I thought it went better than I expected as far as uh, the identification of players and doing it off a monitor. Uh, I worked seven games off the monitor, uh, three with Dave Maloney, the Rangers, Carolina on the radio in the qualifying round, and then four games uh, with NBC. And all four that I worked from the studio in Stanford, Connecticut, uh, were with Pierre, who was already here in Edmonton. And I also had AJ with me for two of those games in a booth right next to me. I was looking through glass and I could see AJ. And then one game with Eddie, same thing. He was in a booth uh, just in front of me. So it was different. Uh, the monitors uh, in both places, uh, the radio monitor was a little bigger than the NBC monitor, but they were real clear. And I was right in front of these monitors. I was only you know two feet away, a foot away, sitting at the desk in Stanford from the monitor. The Calgary uniforms were a bit of a challenge, the red uniforms with the black numbers. Uh, so occasionally you would hesitate. The viewer probably wouldn't even notice, but maybe hesitate an extra second just to make sure. Um, but like I said, I think it did go a little better than I expected. Um, it was great having Pierre at the games because the biggest thing was you didn't always see penalties that were called away from the play that might not be on the TV screen. You might not see the referee raise his arm in the air. If a team pulled the goaltender, I wouldn't necessarily see it uh, right away. So having Pierre in Edmonton w was a big help, obviously, uh, during those games. But um, I thought it went pretty well. There's nothing like being in the arena. Uh, you know, you always want to be at the game. But, um, you know, all of the others, Doc and Brendan and AJ and Eddie, are all doing a terrific job. And um, it was, it was uh, a unique experience. I hadn't done too many sporting events off monitors. I had done some boxing uh, about five years ago, and then occasionally back in the day when uh, networks that I worked for were hiring new color analysts on the hockey side and football side, I was asked to help out with their auditions, and those were often done off monitors. Uh, my initial Fox football audition back in 1994 was off a television monitor in their studios out in L.A., so um, I had done it on occasion before, but uh, never a, a, a real live hockey game on the air off a monitor.
Yeah, that's that's unbelievable. But 1994, uh, that's that was your first Fox audition. That's pretty crazy. Um, again, we're talking with Kenny Albert, uh, who is just uh, doing a masterful job on NBC throughout these uh, playoffs in the Western Conference, in the Edmonton bubble, which I want to talk to you a little more about. I also have a bunch of Twitter questions for you, and I have a couple Rangers questions for you. Pretty exciting uh, week that they just had. Uh, again, you're listening to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo to subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash straight from the source. Also, if you want to advertise on this podcast, you can go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads, fill out a little uh, Q&A, and somebody will get back to you. And again, podcast galore all over this network uh, this week on uh, Two Man Advantage with uh, Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun. Uh, Gerard Gallant, the former Florida Panthers, Columbus Blue Jackets, and uh, Vegas Golden Knights coach. And also Dan Hughes, who just retired uh, from the NHL uh, after years with the uh, couple stints with the National Predators, uh, Vancouver Canucks, Dallas Stars. He's on this week uh, with Craig Custance. Uh, Pierre, what is, uh, excuse me, uh, Kenny, what is, what is the bubble like in terms of uh, fun for you? I mean, you know, I know you're watching a bunch of games that even when you're not working, you mentioned uh, that, that Plaza. Um, what are, I saw on, on social media, you've been playing a lot of ping pong, which uh, ah. judging from, judging from uh, some of the tweets, apparently uh, you're just a ping pong star as well. Well, unfortunately, Mike, it might be my best sport from an athletic standpoint, so I'm not sure uh, what that's, that says about uh, <laughs> uh, my athleticism. But um, as far as uh, fun, like you said, um, you know, there, isn't, there, there aren't many areas to, to, to get out and, and walk around inside the bubble. Uh, there, there is a gym at the hotel, and uh, the officials are staying in our hotel, so uh, bump into them often in the, in the hotel gym and around the, uh, the restaurant. Um, but there is that plaza area. And, and uh, the, first day, the first day I was allowed out of the quarantine, uh, I spent about a half hour uh, playing basketball solo. And uh, <laughs> I, I joked to somebody, if, if, you, if you had told me six months ago that in August I would be playing basketball uh, inside a fence at Rogers Place in Edmonton, uh, you know, I would have thought you were crazy. Uh, <laughs> who, who would have believed that? But um, you got a little bit of exercise there playing hoops, and they, they did add ping pong tables at Rogers Place, uh, really available for anybody, players, coaches, staff, TV, NHL folks. So uh, along with uh, our statistician, Ryan Moyer, who's working here with us, uh, who's from Winnipeg, uh, we've enjoyed a couple of days now at the table. Um, the NHL has set up some uh, uh, bubble field trips uh, for NHL staff and anybody that wants to go. Uh, you're still technically in the bubble. They take you on a bus and it's all fenced in, but I haven't done it yet. There's a, there's a, there's a local field or park uh, where they have some, some soccer and, and footballs and cornhole, I guess, set up. And I'll probably take advantage of that one of these days. But um, again, you're still technically inside the bubble, even though they're taking you out. Um, it's all fenced in. Nobody else is allowed in from the outside. So I'll probably you gotta do that keep, one, uh, one be careful days. with the uh, with the hoops, Kenny. You don't want to. What happened to Joe Micheletti in Carolina happen to you? Right. No, uh, this was not a competitive game. I, I was shooting hoops. <laughs> you know, it, it was it was funny. I'm, I'm shooting hoops and they have these three food trucks set up in this plaza. One of them is a Tim Hortons food truck and they have two others. And, you know, I'm shooting hoops and, and, and Milan Lucic walks by to go to one of the food trucks and you see other players from other teams and 
everybody's wearing masks also, so it's not easy to recognize, um, you know, folks that you normally would during the course of the season if you bump into them. But uh, some of them, you know, Lucic is, is very recognizable, even with a mask on. So uh, I knew it was him. And uh, then some of the other players started shooting hoops at the other baskets. So I think everybody's trying to take advantage of some of the outdoor time uh, when they can. As far as restaurants, uh, there's one in my hotel. There's a, a good steakhouse in one of the other hotels in the bubble. And then there were two restaurants at the JW Marriott, which is connected to the arena, which is where uh, six of the eight teams are staying in this round. So you're able to go to restaurants in the various hotels and the one restaurant, which is open in the arena, as I mentioned earlier. Yep. I love that JW. It's absolutely awesome. Uh, they, uh, we stayed there. We were there actually in February and I'm not kidding. You, I had the, probably the biggest hotel room I think I've ever had at that, uh, that JW. Um, and the hotel you're staying at, uh, now is actually really nice other than like the elevator situation. If I remember, there's like only two and usually one's out, <laughs> but they're all, it's an all suite hotel that you're at, right? Uh, not all suites. I'm in a single okay. room, but there are, there are suites. Um, you're, you're, you have a great memory about the elevator situation because yeah. the first day that I was out of quarantine, one of the two elevators was not working. It's, it's it, unbelievable. It, Every it's, single time I stay at that hotel, the elevator, has, one of the elevators. It has been working for the last five or six days. So um, <laughs> Now, the other thing, Mike, uh, you know, I mentioned the daily COVID tests. You take a temperature check every time you leave your hotel um, or uh, when you walk into the arena. So there's, a, there's an app on your phone uh, clear, similar to the airports, and the NHL has set it up where uh, you answer a couple of health-related questions on the app every day, and you take a picture, and there are clear machines in the hotel lobby and in the arena uh, where you stand in front of the machine, and it takes your temperature, and if, if you're good to go, your phone turns green, and you have to show that uh, when you leave the hotel, when you enter the hotel, when you enter the arena, and again, this is everybody, players, coaches, team staff, NHL staff, broadcasters. And then every day when you go to the arena, uh, there are lanes set up by letter, A to C, D to F, et cetera. And you go in and you do your daily COVID test. I'm, I'm going to do it as soon as we hang up. Uh, you have to do it every day. There are repercussions if you don't. And uh, as you know, the NHL has released uh, the data every week and there have been no positive tests. But uh, every day I go in there, and it's become second nature. It's been 13 or 14 days now. Every other day, it's a throat culture. Every other day, it's the uh, nose swab. And it really is not intrusive. Uh, you barely feel it. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the doctors and nurses are doing an unbelievable job. Uh, like I mentioned, they came to my room the first four days during the quarantine. And now uh, every day when I enter the arena, as everyone else does inside the bubble, we take the daily COVID test, you take your temperature, and you're good to go. Wow. And what would they do if you had a slight fever in a day and you get the red light? Do they like call Brendan Burke and say rush over to Stanford or what, or what do they do? Well, fortunately, that has not <laughs> happened. Uh, I had the two three game days and uh, the phone has been green uh, the entire time. So good to go. Um, those questions on the amenities, by the way, are from Johnny Connor, who you've been nice enough to talk to. He's an aspiring uh, broadcaster at University of Minnesota. Um, by the way, your hotel is attached to the mall there. Is the mall still open? Is that part of the bubble or, 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 um, or is it open to the public? It is not open. I have seen the mall because the restaurant is on the third floor yeah. overlooking yep. the mall. So the, the mall is not open. So wow. there, we, there are no stores that we can uh, go to. We have no access outside the fence, outside the bubble. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the stores, most of the stores uh, are not accessible. All of the stores are not accessible to us, but that mall inside the hotel is is not open, as far as wow. I know. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, that Hudson Bay there. If you if you can ever escape the bubble, they have great great uh, sales on ties. By the way, I just want you to know. You know, to be honest, every- I don't I don't know. I've only <laughs> I've only been up there to the restaurant late at night. Um, yeah. So it, it it very well might be open during the day, but if it is, it's not part of the bubble. Yeah. Uh, let me go to some Twitter questions, Kenny. Uh, Colin Jacobson, uh, who is also an aspiring journalist, I believe. Uh, what is it like uh, transitioning from sport to sport, being the only sports uh, sportscaster who currently does play-by-play for all pro, all four major professional sports in the U.S. and Canada? Do you have to change your mindset and vocabulary used for each sport to the other? Well, I really enjoy the variety, and I've been involved. I've been real lucky to be involved in, in all four for a long time. Hockey for 30 years, football for 26 uh, baseball for over 20 and, and basketball, uh, NBA basketball for the last 10 years or so and some college basketball before that. Um, so I love it, bouncing back and forth. There are certain times of the year that are more hectic than others. Uh, October during normal times is when they all intersect. Um, you do change your vocabulary, obviously. And the preparation, uh, my checklist is similar for all of the sports as far as uh, watching prior games and, and reading up on the teams for about a week before any given game, uh, going to practices, talking to coaches, listening to press conferences, preparing charts and going over statistics. So the checklist that I have is similar. Uh, the volume of preparation is much, much heavier for football because you don't work for a specific team and you might be working a game week 15 of the season uh, in which you have not done those teams all year. So you're playing catch-up. Uh, hockey and basketball, the teams are playing three or four games a week. You're around the teams all the time, so uh, there's less prep. There, there, there still is you know, hours of prep work for each game, but a lot less volume-wise than football. But uh, really enjoy it. Fortunate to be involved in all four. Have done some boxing as well. And uh, I always joke, it beats working for a living. There's a lot of work and a lot of travel that goes into it, but I never actually feel like I'm going to work. Yep, I say the same thing, and, and you have a more fun job than me. Um, oh, actually, yours you is were, pretty fun, too. Yeah, yeah. you were here. I can't remember when you were here this season, and uh, and actually I came down to, to Minneapolis to see you, and you, uh, I think we had breakfast, and you introduced me to Lennox Lewis, and maybe that actually was last summer, right? You were. Uh, I think that was, uh, that was late August. That was almost a year ago. That was late yeah. August, early September of 2019, and then I was back in, in uh, St. Paul for a Rangers Wild game in February. Yep, exactly. Uh, Greg Anderson asks, uh, great question. Uh, when calling games, do you feed off the energy and emotions of the crowd? And if so, how hard is it in an empty stadium? That's a great question uh, from Greg. I, I do. I do feed off the emotions of the crowd. And I usually, during normal times, keep the volume pretty high in my headset. Uh, the crowd noise and the effects, as they're referred to, because I like to be able to keep the energy up. And that was one of the challenges I felt going into these playoffs, whether in the studio in New York or in Stanford or here at the arena in Edmonton. And I still keep my own volume loud. And hopefully the energy is, is, is close to what it would be if there were fans in the building. Uh, you have to manufacture it. You know, in this situation, it's an empty building. There's nobody there. And the NHL's done a good job. Again, they've piped in some crowd noise and, and whoever it is that, that, is at the controls during the game. They've done a terrific job. If there's a big save or a moment, yeah. uh, you know, that deserves uh, the roar of the crowd, they pump it up. So I have that 
in my headset, but it's not nearly what it would be if there were fans in the building. So hopefully on TV, it sounds like the energy, uh, you know, from Pierre and I is what it would be if there were 18,000 fans in the seats. Yeah, we, you know, it's funny because uh, there was a game that you were joining with Pierre about a week ago, maybe a little less, where Pierre was going nuts on the broadcast that, that uh, one of the teams had too many men. And whoever was piping in the noise on NBC actually had the crowd go nuts. And then all of a sudden the call was made for too many men. And it just it sounded like I mean, it looked like there were there were fans in the in the stands. You would never have known if they didn't have a wide view. No, like I said, they've done a great job with that, with the uh, effects in the arena and on television. So um, hopefully that continues along, and uh, we'll try and keep the energy up today for Calgary-Dallas. Um, Ton Squad asks, uh, is Nathan McKinnon the most exciting player in the NHL? He's been, he's been so exciting to watch here. Uh, I have to think you put Connor McDavid on that list yeah. as well. Um, haven't seen him in person during the playoffs, of course, but uh, did one of his games from the studio. Uh, guys like Artemi Panarin and Leon Dreisaitl. And I think you have to look at Quinn Hughes and Cal McCarr, the two young defensemen, and, and put them in the mix as well. But there, there are so many outstanding young players. The league's getting younger and quicker. And uh, I was at the Colorado game yesterday. I wasn't working. And, and uh, McKinnon's just been uh, so exciting to watch during these games. It's funny you said that about McCarr and Hughes. So I, I, so the Wild obviously lost to Vancouver in the first round, and then they've gone on, and uh, now it's a 2-2 series with the Blues. But uh, but he had such an amazing Quinn Hughes, such an amazing first two games. And I was saying to myself, like, God, I was, I wish I can get my Calder Trophy pick back and, and switch picks. And then you watch Hughes yesterday, and he's the, just an absolute dynamo. If you had to take a choice as, the, as uh, GM Kenny Albert, do you take Cal McCarr or Quinn Hughes? You know, it's tough. I kind of had the same thought as you. You know, during the regular season, uh, it seemed like McCarr was getting a little bit more of the publicity, maybe because he was playing on, on a Colorado team, one of the top teams in the league, and Hughes plays out in Vancouver, and on the East Coast, you don't see them very often. The first two games here, uh, when I was watching Hughes against St. Louis, I was thinking to myself, wow, I mean, this guy is just unbelievable, and maybe maybe he has the edge on McCarr, but then, then you see what McCarr did yesterday, so... I, I think it's neck and neck. I really do. And you, you look at their numbers during the regular season. They were 1-2 and two in rookie scoring. Quinn Hughes had 53 points. He led all rookies. And we mentioned this on the broadcast the other day. In the last 80 years, Bobby Orr and Brian Leach were the only defensemen to lead rookies in scoring in the NHL until Quinn Hughes this year. And Cal McCarr was only three points behind. So you really can't go wrong either way. Let me ask you a question. I'm watching you do the Calgary game the other day, and you immediately had that stat about Tobias Ryder. Um, it, I mean, do you get that from a statistician, or are you just an absolute encyclopedia? Because I, I get, I get the, the, the feeling sometimes by some, watching and reading some of your cool stats that you throw on Twitter that you, that you uh, have a quick resource to be able to, to give these really um, you know, unbelievable stats that a lot of us would never have even thought of. Well, I appreciate you noticing that, Mike. And sometimes you get lucky with your preparation and things happen to work out. So when Tobias Reeder scored his second shorthanded goal of the playoffs uh, in the prior game against Dallas, uh, I thought to myself, and this is how my mind works normally during, uh, during games, I thought to myself, I wonder what the NHL playoff record is for shorthanded goals. So I have on my iPad the NHL postseason statistical guide and record book. And uh, during a 
the commercial, I looked up, and uh, sure enough, the record is three in one postseason year held by six players. So I jotted it down just in case, and it didn't happen that day. Uh, he already had scored the one shorthanded goal, but I then had in my notes, uh, because I had looked it up the game earlier, uh, I had in my notes for game four that uh, six players in NHL history had scored three shorthanded goals in the playoffs, just in case Reader picked up another one, which he did. So preparation paid off. Yeah. I also uh, thought to myself, because this, this is, is how, my favorite part of this. This is how my mind works sometimes. Um, I knew that those were his first two shorthanded goals. Yeah. So I was then wondering, uh, hopefully not too many of your listeners stay up at night late uh, thinking about these things, but I was wondering <laughs> if a player had ever scored his first two NHL goals in the playoffs shorthanded. So for that one, I emailed uh, the NHL uh, research department. And the next day, uh, they got back to me, and it turned out that, that uh, several other players had done that, but nobody had ever scored and their three. first three playoff goals shorthanded. So I had that note ready to go, just in case. And on many occasions, you would never have to use it. And uh, sure enough, I was very excited when I saw Reader on, yeah. on that shorthanded that had to breakaway. Be, it because, had to be very Because gratifying. I knew, I, knew yeah. I had these two great nuggets yeah. to use if he scored another shorthanded goal. Yeah. Yep, and no, that was uh, it was definitely a, you could tell that you were gratified by it actually happening. It was just crazy, and and Ryder, you know that one, the third one was just a you know, you know, to, uh, he's obviously uh, got a great pass and and was open for basically a partial breakaway. But but I remember when he played for Arizona. I mean that kid could fly, and uh, you could see why he's been so good uh, from a penalty kill standpoint. Uh, and the crazy thing is he yep. played for Edmonton last year, two seasons ago, uh, eighteen nineteen. He scored no goals in 67 games. He went an Crazy. entire season without scoring a goal, and now in the same building in Edmonton, he has three <laughs> shorthanded goals in the playoffs. It's crazy. Uh, two questions uh, very similar from two aspiring broadcasters, one Dylan Lukes and one Alton Dills. Uh, what is your biggest tip to a young kid looking to do what you do someday and most important thing to work on for a broadcasting job in hockey? Well, for Dylan and Luke uh, – you know, the biggest thing to me, uh, whether you're in high school or college, is just get as many reps as possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are so many opportunities available these days for youngsters, whether it's a high school broadcasting class, doing the morning announcements at your school, announcing games into a tape recorder or your iPhone just for practice. And then in college, uh, so many of these schools now, when I was, you know, back in the day, Mike, when you and I were in college, uh, the only outlet was really the radio station, the school radio station. Now you can broadcast games of any sport on the internet. A lot of schools, the Big Ten, the ACC, have networks where they actually hire college students to work various jobs, uh, both on the air and behind the scenes. So I would encourage uh, looking for internships uh, during the college years and, and just getting as much experience as possible, whether it's at a school radio station, uh, writing for the newspaper, calling games on the internet. Uh, if you know where to look, there's a lot of opportunities out there. A couple more minutes with uh, Kenny Albert. We'll let him go and uh, rest his voice uh, that has been well used during this uh, postseason run in the Western Conference. Uh, Aaron Heckman asks, uh, who is your biggest mentor? Well, Aaron, uh, and I think, Mike, we discussed this on, on the prior podcast. Um, three family members uh, who are in the business and were in the business, uh, my father and my two uncles, and obviously they were huge influences uh, while I was uh, a youngster. And I joke that that... Whenever my uncles came over, 
uh, I felt like I was listening to the first all sports radio station when we sat around the table <laughs> in our house and they were telling stories about the various teams and, and leagues and networks. Uh, but there were many others. I was a big radio listener. We did not have cable TV until I was about 17. So uh, growing up in New York, I would listen to all sports on radio and I'd watch games on TV when I could. And uh, I was listening to folks on the hockey side like Sam Rosen and Doc Emmerich and Jiggs McDonald and and Howie Rose, and I became good friends with all of them. And uh, whether it was uh, Knicks, Nets, Giants, Jets, Yankees, Mets, just listening and watching uh, really to as many games, you know, as I could. And, uh, you know, these days uh, still enjoy and, and you pick up little things, guys like Al Michaels and Mike Tirico and, and Joe Buck and Ian Eagle. Uh, and again, most of them are, are now good friends, but uh, uh, you can always you can always pick up little little things uh still learning, you know, even, even 30 years after, uh, beginning the professional career. Yep. And Kenny's uncle is obviously Steve and Al is dad, Marv. Um, you know, it's funny just growing up, just listening to you talk, I was thinking about my childhood and, and how lucky I was to grow up in New York where you got to listen to guys like, you know, Bob Murphy and Ralph Kiner and Tim McCarver and Phil Rizzuto and, and, uh, but Howie Rose, I still remember we used to, I think I've told you this before. My brother and I, we used to run out of Shea stadium after a Mets game, just to listen to Howie Rose's postgame report. And as you said, then to become friends with him years later, it's so surreal. Same thing with Jiggs McDonald. Not only did I get to cover him while he was the Panthers play-by-play uh, uh, -play guy on radio down there, but I grew up watching him on Sports Channel. Well, it's a small world, Mike, because uh, during that time when you were probably listening to Howie on the Mets postgame from 87 through uh, early in the 90s season, I was actually there with him as his associate producer. Wow, that's extra. So I was with Howie at Shea Stadium at all the Met games during those years and learned so much by sitting next to him and listening to him and uh, just watching the professionalism. And um, he's been a, a big influence and mentor and friend uh, ever since. Hey, great question from Derek. He says, uh, um, what's the most memorable game you ever attended with your dad? And did you ever go backstage on Letterman? I think your dad was on Letterman probably 150 times, if I remember correctly. Uh, I think he's among the, the, the top two or three as far as guests with David Letterman. Uh, I did go to the show on numerous occasions when he was on and I sat in the audience. I uh, never went backstage, but I did meet David Letterman and I have a great picture with the two of them. Uh, actually, it's in the Mets dugout. They, they, they taped something at Shea Stadium. So I have a picture with my father and David Letterman in the dugout at Shea Stadium. Um, the, one of the most memorable games I attended as a kid where we sat together, he wasn't working, was the Ron Guidry 18 strikeout game against the California Angels in, uh, it was either 77 or 78. We were at that game in the stands right around Father's Day weekend in June. And then I was, I did stats for him for many years uh, during high school and college with the Knicks and Rangers. Uh, but also uh, in 92, I had already been working in Baltimore calling hockey and it was about to start in Washington with the Capitals. But my last hurrah as a statistician uh, was with NBC in Barcelona at the Dream Team Games. So uh, that was so much fun uh, working with uh, the entire NBC crew. Mike Fratello was the analyst. Quinn Buckner was there as well. So I would have to say the Dream Team Games and the, uh, the 18 strikeout game for Ron Guidry, as well as yeah. all of the Knicks and Rangers games through the years. I still, my, my grandfather was a huge Yankees fan, and we used to go like to the club before games at Yankee Stadium, and I remember meeting Ron Guidry when I was a kid, and I was just absolutely in awe 
Um, by the way, thanks to Google, I just looked this up. Uh, most Late Show with David Letterman appearances, Regis Philbin, who just passed away recently. Um, second most, Jack Hanna. Third most, Tony Randall. Fourth most, Marv Albert. Fifth most, Tom Brokaw. So how about that? Wow, so Regis uh, Philbin at the top of the list. And uh, my, my good friend and, and college roommate, Rich Ackerman, uh, befriended Regis about 10 or 12 years ago and uh, was actually on the show a few times. They tried to set him up on a date. It was called Project Akak. <laughs> but as a result, uh, Regis actually uh, came to Ack's birthday dinners twice, including his 50th two years ago. And uh, I actually was uh, the driver for Regis Philbin. I took Regis wow. and Rich Ackerman uh, to and from the Peter Luger restaurant in Brooklyn from Manhattan. So uh, great memories of, of two nights that I spent uh, as part of a much bigger group having dinner with Regis Philbin. So sad to hear about his passing recently. Yeah. He was such a, such a wonderful man. Yeah. A uh, couple more questions, though, with Kenny. I really appreciate your time today, uh, Kenny, especially with you got a game uh, later on today uh, calling the Dallas Stars and the Calgary Flames. Um, Fetty Dean has a good question about the bubble. To what degree are players from different teams socializing? Do you, do you ever see any of that, or are they pretty much avoiding each other during the playoffs? It's tough to answer that question because I'm not in, in their hotel. I would think right. there is some socializing going on. You have players who used to play for – uh, you know, one of the other teams, I know that James Neal uh, in the last round, in the qualifying round uh, with Edmonton, uh, I heard on one of the broadcasts that he was in the same hotel with three of his former teams with, uh, with Nashville, Calgary and Dallas. They were all in the same hotel. Um, you have the Ben brothers, Jamie Ben and Jordy Ben, who are both here. So I'm sure there's some socializing between the siblings, yep. I would guess. Um, I know they do bump into each other because I see players from different teams in the plaza, walking around the in the arena. One of the cool things is that uh, staff and players from teams can go watch other games. So they have luxury suites set up for each team. So I've seen players in the arena watching other games. So I would think that they're bumping into each other. I've been in restaurants where there are players and coaches for multiple teams as well. Yeah, yeah I uh, I told a story on I don't I can't remember if it was this podcast or my uh, one of my other podcasts, but um. But uh, one of the wild players was telling me that it was a hilarious thing in the in the qualifying round. The Winnipeg Jets and the Calgary Flames were basically walking toward each other, uh, you know, like, kind of like West Side Story. And this was the day after the whole Shifley, uh, Matt Kachuk incident. And they were walking right by each other. And he said, just like clockwork, everybody just put their heads down and walked right <laughs> by each other. There was no there was no like apology. There was no, uh, you know, war words. They just walked by each other with their heads down. It was pretty funny. Um, again, final questions uh, with uh, Kenny. I just want to ask you about the Rangers. Um, obviously, a huge day uh, winning the lottery again. They get Kako. Now they get Lafrenia, probably Lafrenia. Um, you know, what was your reaction watching that uh, draft lottery where the Rangers, uh, the team that uh, is your day job, let's so to speak, uh, gets this unbelievable uh, win the other day, getting the number one overall pick in this upcoming draft in October? Well, I was here in my hotel room watching uh, last Monday, watching the NHL lottery and. Uh, really couldn't believe it. I mean, it, you had a one in eight chance, uh, every team 12.5%, and uh, the Rangers certainly had some luck last year. They only had, I think, a 6% chance last year, and they wind up with the number two pick. And to get the number one pick uh, was just so exciting for the franchise, for the organization, especially after the disappointment of losing to Carolina in a sweep. However, when you look back, uh, that that loss allowed them to be in the position uh, uh, to be a part of the lottery. So 
if it is Alexei Lafreniere, and you know all indications are are that he will be the number one pick. You know, it sounds like uh, he could be a franchise player for for ten to fifteen years. I've never seen him play in person. Uh, Pierre Maguire has, and and he was filling me in. Um, but uh, to get the number two and number one pick in back to back years is something that uh, does not happen very often, especially in a lottery situation. And the Rangers, despite the disappointment in the playoffs in the qualifying round, uh, they have a, a terrific young nucleus now. Um, yes, they sent out that letter in February eighteen that has been well documented. When you guys were in Minnesota, if I remember right. Uh, it was during the Olympics, so I was, I was in South Korea. I can't remember where the team was, but they sent that letter out and uh, talked about their plan, and, and they don't call it a rebuild. They call it a build, and um, I think they're so far ahead, even without winning the lottery, of where many folks thought they would be uh, due, to the, yeah. due to some of the acquisitions last summer, the signing of Artemi Panarin, the trade for Jacob Truba, the trade for Adam Fox, um, you know, guys like Ryan Strom and Tony D'Angelo having career years, Igor Shosturkin coming up and winning 10 of his 12 starts, and then you add Kako and the number one pick, and I think there's a, there's a real bright future ahead. I love their coach, David Quinn. They have a terrific management staff, so uh, a lot of excitement surrounding the Rangers despite the playoff loss to Carolina. Yep, and I just, I just looked it up. It was February 13th, 2018 that that letter came out when the, when the uh, Rangers were here in Minnesota right before the Olympic break. Um, just a couple more questions. I mean, I know I'm not going to add – put you in a position, Kenny, where you're the director of amateur scouting for the uh, New York Rangers. But but looking at the Rangers depth chart, it's unbelievable. Other than Zibanejad, they got tons of wingers. I mean, is there any chance they would take Byfield or, or do you think that's very unlikely? Again, I'm not the director of scouting and I haven't <laughs> seen the players play in person. So uh, it's pretty hard to answer that one. Um, they do have some depth now on, on the wing and on defense. Uh, they have some really terrific uh, prospects on defense as well. Keandre Miller out of the University of Wisconsin looked great during the July uh, training camp. I was at every practice, I think, for 11 straight days, and he really stood out. He was not eligible to play in the, in the postseason. Uh, they have a first-round pick from a couple of years ago, Nils Lundqvist, who will play in Sweden this year. Um, and like you said, a lot of uh, young wingers, so... Uh, you know, down the middle right now, it's it's Zibanejad, uh, Ryan Strom, who's a who's a restricted free agent, uh, Philip Hedel and Brett Howden, so a real young core down the middle as well. And Zibanejad had a career year with 41 goals. And again, I'm not. Uh, I don't want you to be Jeff Gordon and Chris Drury, but uh, give me your Ryan Strom scouting report just in case uh, his Arbrights and restricted free agency puts him on the trading block for, say, a team that really needs a center like the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, real solid player. He's smart. Real smart guy on the ice. Uh, played with Artemi Panarin and, and Jesper Faust for most of the year. So um, he just uh, he's, was in that number two center slot for most of the year and, and had a career year. Uh, originally drafted by the Islanders, traded to Edmonton for Eberle, uh, was only with the Oilers for a short time and uh, is coming off a career year with the Rangers. And uh, just two more little quick ones. Uh, one more on the Rangers. Uh, well, sort of the Rangers. Uh, Derek Broussard plays for the Islanders. Uh, he's he's up there in age. Does he does he still have game? Because uh, you know he's somebody again. The Wild needs centers. He's an unrestricted free agent. Um, has had chemistry with Matt Zuccarello uh, in the past with the Rangers, and and Matt's obviously had a tough first year with Minnesota. Uh, do you think Broussard still has game? 
I've always liked Eric Broussard. I think he does. He's bounced around a lot the last couple of years. He was a really good playoff player for the Rangers. If you look up his uh, playoff stats, uh, they were right up there uh, with the top players in the league for about a, a three-year period. And uh, the Rangers wound up trading him. He was part of the team that went to the final in 2014 and, and the conference final in 2015. He had a huge game six in the conference final that year against Tampa with the Rangers facing elimination. I think he had five points in that game playing with Rick Nash and JT Miller. Uh, they wound up trading him for Zibanejad, and as it turns out, it was an unbelievable trade for the Rangers. Yeah, at the time, crazy. At the time, Broussard, like I said, it had some big playoffs, and uh, there were people questioning the trade because Zibanejad had not yet broken out in his career. But, you know, as it turned out, the Rangers also got a second-round pick. Uh, plus, Mika Zibanejad has turned into a superstar. But, yes, I think Derek Broussard can certainly uh, be an effective player, probably a second-line center for many teams out there. Um, he has bounced around a little bit, went from Ottawa, uh, Colorado, Pittsburgh, Florida, and then the Islanders now uh, where he settled into a nice role and they have a 3 nothing lead on Washington. Yep, exactly. Uh, last question for you. Let's put you on the spot one last time. Uh, Stanley Cup winner. Uh, who do you think is your pick right now? You've seen all the Western Conference games. You're, I'm sure, watching a ton of the East. Well, you know, I, I usually try to stay away from predictions, especially when <laughs> I'm working the games, but uh, very impressed here in Edmonton with Vegas and Colorado. Uh, they are the two teams that have, that have certainly stood out. Uh, never count out St. Louis. You know, we see what they've done the last two games, and they, they look like themselves for the first time last night in Game 4 against Vancouver, even without Tarasenko and Steen and some other players. Uh, last night looked like the Blues of last year. Now they've gone to Jake Allen the last two games, and he's played very well. Bennington struggled, allowed over four goals a game in his four playoff starts. Jake Allen has sort of settled things down, so... It'll be interesting to watch the goaltending situation and how that plays out. Um, have not seen the East games in person at all, but uh, when you look at teams such as uh, Tampa Bay and Philadelphia and Boston and whoever wins the Islander-Washington series, some great teams in the East. Uh, but out here, uh, the, the best teams to me so far were have been Vegas and Colorado, and now St. Louis looks like they're back on track. Yep. And uh, during this broadcast, uh, by the way, this podcast, uh, the Blues did announce that Tarasenko's returning to St. Louis to meet with the team doctors regarding his surgically repaired shoulder. So that is not uh, good news for the uh, Blues, who have played uh, a lot of this season without uh, Vladimir Tarasenko. Hey, uh, Kenny, really appreciate you coming on. Again, if you want to uh, watch Kenny Albert, uh, you could watch him uh, all the time on NBC, NBC Sports Network, USA Network, uh, CNBC. Uh, he's doing the games on site in the Edmonton bubble of the Western Conference. You could also uh, follow Kenny on Twitter at, at Kenny Albert. He's the Fox Sports, MSG Network, NBC play-by-play -play guy, does NFL, Major League uh, Baseball. Uh, obviously, hockey and basketball, the Olympics, uh, maybe Stanley Cup Finals on Westwood One. Uh, man, you are busy, Kenny. Well, Mike, uh, it's a lot of fun, like I said, here in Edmonton. And, uh, you know, hopefully we're all back to normal real, real soon. And, and you and I are as busy as we usually are uh, during normal times. But uh, great chatting with you as always. Uh, hope the listeners enjoy the rest of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And, uh, We'll chat again soon, hopefully. Yeah, thanks so much, Kenny. And again, uh, check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to the Straight From The Source on Apple by clicking on the show URL, theathletic.com slash straight from the source for all your Minnesota Wild and NHL coverage. Thanks so much. I appreciate it, Kenny. Thanks very much, Mike.